Last winter, last winter, do you guys remember the polar vortex when the temperature plummeted? The temperature plummeted, I believe the lows were somewhere around negative 30. I remember throwing boiling water and seeing it burst in the air. But that weekend, we kind of didn't plan our grocery shopping around that temperature plummeting. It seems like it might be in the monitors. That might be one of the issues. Um, We didn't really plan our grocery shopping, so the following day when it warmed up to negative nine was when I was planning on going grocery shopping. I decided it's probably best not to take the kids. You never know what's going to happen. And I, I knew that the battery in the van had a couple of cells that were bad. It had it checked at whatever point. And I was like, you know, a couple cells. What is there, like eight? I don't know. Like, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. And at my last stop, 10 miles from home, the car won't crank. I look, I pull out my phone, and I've got like 10% battery on my phone. The car's battery is dead. Thankfully, I'm at a store, so I can go and warm up. But I'm, I basically got just a couple of phone calls. I need to, it's kind of like being, in, I guess, in prison, and you, you're given one phone call. I had like one phone call to make and to say, hey, would you come and help jump my car? Um, and so I, um, so I made a phone call, and it was like, hey, I, I can be there, and give me 20 minutes, and I'll be there. I jumped the van. And the next day, I had to go and get a new battery. But it, it caused me to think about batteries and the fact that losing a cell or two is actually a big deal when the temperature is negative 9. I ended up learning a little bit more about batteries because once it gets below, 70, or below 32, then it starts to lose capacity anyway. So don't risk it when you've, got only, when you've only got running on partial batteries. And I was thinking about that story this morning, because the car that can do a whole lot and that's filled with groceries and that we you have used to travel the country was really no good because the battery didn't have the power that it needed to have. And right now, we've been walking through a series called Adorn, walking through the book of Titus and saying, what does it mean to live good lives that make the good news of Jesus attractive? But, and we can sketch out, this is what it means to live a life that makes the good news of Jesus attractive. But the reality is, unless we have the power to make it happen, then having that goal makes no difference. The book of Titus that we've walked through in three weeks, this is now week four, lays out for us, this is what it means to live a life that makes the gospel attractive. Can you pull that down just a little bit? I feel like... There we go. Okay, that's better. Um, Titus chapter 3, which is where we're going to be at today, lays out for us where we get the power to live a life that makes the good news of Jesus attractive. I don't know if, you, if, if you're like me, we can read the Bible and go, Jesus, I agree with you. I want to live this kind of life. But then at the breakfast table, when giving kids baths, when doing, doing things at work, having difficult conversations, it becomes really hard to, to live a life that we know we need to live. But man, I don't feel able to live out that kind of life. Where am I going to draw the kind of strength and power to live this good news, gospel kind of living? So turn with me to Titus chapter 3. Because we had a couple guest preachers over the last couple of weeks, it feels like I need to resketch a little bit. So Titus was Paul's companion, a young pastor that was kind of his most talented, most gifted, most trusted guy, goes into difficult circumstances, 
And this island called Creed is one of those most difficult circumstances. And so Titus is there, and Paul has been saying, Titus, this is what it means for you to, to raise up a church, to encourage a church that makes the good news of Jesus attractive in a wild and crazy place. And then we get to chapter 3, and Titus, or Paul says to Titus, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable, considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. God, I thank you that we can open up your word and know for certain that you have spoken to us and that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Help us find in this the power to live the life that you have raised us up for. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want to show you here today is three ways that we tap into the power of the good news so that we can adorn the good news. This passage says, devote yourself to adorning the good news in the power of the good news. And so I want to show you three ways to tap into the power of the good news. Verses 1 through 8 lays it out and says, you have to see the good news to become the good news. You have to experience the good news to become the good news. Verse one, two, verses 1 and 2 lay out what this adorning kind of life looks like. Paul starts sticking in a knife. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready to do whatever is good. To slander no one. To be peaceable and considerate. And always to be gentle toward everyone. This passage begins by laying out this is what it looks like. It's a kind of life that's kinder than we want to live. It's gentler than we actually want to be. We, we in ourselves say, no, we, we need to be strong. Nice guys finish last. That guy is too nice. We re, if, if this is what it means to adorn the good news of Jesus, then it is going to be deeply countercultural. It's going to be deeply different than the way the world looks because it's somebody that's subject to rulers and authorities. Not subject only to themselves and their own whims. It's somebody that is ready to do what is it, whatever is good. To slander nobody, to be peaceable, considerate, and gentle. Right here is a countercultural life that he begins to lay out. And then he gives the reason for this kind of adorning lifestyle. Because he says, at one time we too were foolish. At one time we too were disobedient. At one time we too were deceived. We were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And so right here he says, you are called to live a kind of gentle, kind, good, considerate, others-centered kind of life. 
because nobody is actually further gone than you were. What he's saying here is that there is nobody in your life towards you than you once were towards God. If you're like me, people come to mind. Family members, loved ones, disobedient children, spouses that can be difficult. And we begin to go, well, you don't know. Like, I've lived with some really difficult people in my life. I've been hurt very, very deeply. But right here, he says, at one time, we too. We too. Nobody else is further gone than I used to be. And so when God calls us to this adorning kind of life, he begins by saying, guys, you too once were in their shoes. You once were in their shoes. Nobody is too addicted. Nobody's too enslaved to their passions and pleasures. All of them are just like you once were. And then, one of the most beautiful words of the Bible, verse 4, he says, but. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. That word but is like the most beautiful word in the Bible because we see it in Ephesians chapter 2 when he talks about what we used to be but God who is rich in mercy. In this passage, we at one time, we too were foolish. But, God, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. And so when God calls us to live this adorning kind of good news life, He's actually calling us to begin to live out how He's responded to us. There becomes a new kind of power for godly living when we realize that we were dead in our sins and have turned to God in His kindness. He came to us. And so then we begin to get this kind of power for godly living. We, we begin to adorn the good news not because it's just a part of our nature, not because we're just naturally gentle and kind and good. No, there becomes this supernatural goodness and desire to do what is good in us when we begin to drink deeply from the gospel that says, I was once dead in my sin, but God came and rescued me. Not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. That's verse 5. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. There's so much that could be said about verses 1 through 8. We could spend sermons talking about how the Trinity shows up in this. We could spend sermons talking about how this inspires worship. We could spend all of this time talking about the, the deep things in this passage. And I'm not going to do that today, but what I do want to point us to is that the, we have to see and experience this good news, this God is Savior, so that we can then begin to adorn the good news. We all know people that are naturally kind. We all know people that know that if I'm kind to you, you're more inclined to be kind towards me. That's not good news kind of living. Somebody just living out the way that they naturally are. Somebody who's just naturally submissive. Somebody that's submissive because they think they can get something. No, good news kind of people get that way because they've been transformed by the God who gives himself to us. We are called to be shaped by the good news, so then we have the power to live out good news, gospel kinds of life. When I was a teenager, I went to a, uh, a big conference for men, and I remember one guy got up and spoke, and he talked about growing up in, an, in a home where neither, parent, neither of his parents were Christians, he didn't grow up in church, and then one day, somehow, his dad heard the gospel, repented of his sin, and trusted in Christ. And then all hell broke loose in his home because his mom went crazy. His mom was so angry and so mean to his dad for the next two years. And so he, he's, he remembers this shaping moment where 
his mom came downstairs one night, sat down at the table and said, I have been so mean to you for two years and you have only been kind towards me. I want what you have. That's the kind of gospel living we're called to live out, to devote ourselves to adorning the good news because we've been so changed by it that nobody is going to be worse towards us than we were once towards God. And so then we begin to pour out our lives for loved ones that hurt us, people that reject us. We become the person at work that doesn't get ahead but ends up displaying Christ in the workplace in gentleness and goodness, empowered not by, hey, I should do this to try and manipulate you, but you know what? None of these co-workers could ever be as bad to me as I once was towards my Jesus. And he has been so kind to me. And so this passage says we must drink deeply of God's kindness so that we can put it on display. There is no display if we've not been changed by it. So we look at this passage. We look at verses 1 and 2. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander nobody, to be peaceable and considerate. Always to be gentle towards everyone. This passage says experience the good news so you can be transformed by it. And then we look at this and go, oh, oh, that's a different power to be gentle than just I I should do this because I'm supposed to. That first way to tap into the power of the good news is to see the good news so that we can become the good news. The second way that we tap into the power of the good news is to Shun damaging teaching and teachers. This passage that's saying, here's where the power to live the good news kind of life, this adorning kind of life comes from. Then he turns in verse 9 and says, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. These are harmful. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Here, after saying we must see the good news to become the good news, he then makes this kind of pivot that at first feels kind of abrupt, like, okay, like false teaching again. He kind of talked about that a little bit in verse one or chapter 1, a little bit in verse 2. Here he's pointing them, do you want the power to live good news, adorning kind of lives? Then you have to shun damaging teachers and teaching that will divert you away from the power for gospel kind of living. He's like, guys, the teaching that you listen to, Titus, the teaching that comes into the church, foolish controversies, genealogies, arguments, and quarrels about the law actually will do great damage to your ability to live gospel kinds of life. I find it so interesting that here he says, warn them a a first time and then a second time. And then have nothing more to do with them. He doesn't really go through a Matthew 19 kind of way. Matthew 19 that says if a brother sins, go and restore him. And there's like a process for that. But here he's like, actually, bad teachers are so bad, you need to go and warn them. But then have nothing to do with them. You should shun them because they will do so much damage to your ability to live out gospel kinds of lives. They will distract you from it. They will harm you. They're going to end up producing a kind of people that are unprofitable and useless. So why do we have preaching on a Sunday? Why does it matter that we actually have preaching? It's because the power to live gospel kinds of lives can be diverted 
by bad teaching. We live in an age where we're bombarded with messages. And we can, we're not talking about even marketing messages, but between radio and TV and internet, we can listen to any kind of teaching that we want to. We can listen to and read so many devotional books. This passage says damaging teaching and teachers will, will absolutely zap the power to live gospel kinds of adorning kinds of lives. Teaching matters. Preaching matters. The teaching that we listen to empowers in our kids and in ourselves and in our spouses empowers gospel kinds of living. And so be very careful about the teaching and the, the preaching that we listen to. Several people, it's pretty common for people to reach out and mention to me as a pastor, this would make a really good illustration. Uh, several people in this room have said that. I'm not condemning you if you've said that to me. Lots of people will say, man, how do pastors come up with this kind of illustration and this kind of story? And hey, this would be a really good one for you to use sometime in a sermon. And I, I, I try to explain occasionally, that's not really how, for me, how sermons work. That sermons don't start with, hey, what's a good story? What's a good thing that illustrates a lesson? But by the grace of God, my goal is to say, what does this thing say? And if on occasion something in my life points to it, absolutely, let's do that. But we have to be very careful that we don't start with our experience and then say, how does this illustrate something that's true of the world? We start with, well, this is something that seems helpful. And then we go, does this, is this supported in Scripture? Instead, we want to live the kinds of lives that say, I will fix myself to God's Word very tightly. And then, if something in the world illustrates something that I'm, I'm reading in God's Word, absolutely, I will follow that. But we want to start with Scripture because damaging teaching and teachers can distract us from what God is calling us to do. We begin to live lives that adorn other things, not the Gospel. And so the call in this passage is to shun damaging teaching and teachers in the church. It's to shun damaging teaching and teachers in our homes. It's to shun damaging teaching and teachers in our own lives. So that we can tap into the power for good news, adorning kind of lives. And then the third way that we tap into the power of the good news Verses 12 through 15 tell us, devote yourself to good deeds. Devote yourselves to it. Now, this passage has said, devote yourself to adorning the good news in the power of the good news. It's already laid out. Be transformed by it so that you can become it and live that out. Shun damaging teachers that will distract you. And then he says, and then devote yourself to good deeds. Verses 12 through 15, these final remarks. He says, as soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. Because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way to, and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Here he's sending greetings and saying, Titus, as your ministry winds up, come and see me. Hey, here's some well-known teaching Teachers and preachers, make sure to encourage them and send them along. And then he says, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. So that they might adorn the good news of Jesus. That's what we saw in chapter 2. This, the, the people of God must devote themselves, setting their hearts 
on adorning the good news of Jesus. We, we don't want to just be people that consume and find a church and attend a church just so I can be filled, just so that I can be encouraged, just so that my kids can learn some gospely things. No, God, we have to become the kind of people that devote ourselves. We want to do what's good, not for ourselves, but because God once reached out to foolish, disobedient, hateful people like me. So we must set our hearts on adorning the good news so then our whole lives become lives drawing from the good news of Jesus and letting that flow out in our lives and in our families and in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods, in our organizations and in our clubs. A few months ago, Emma and I went on a tour of Lambeau Field and she is not a sports fan at all. It's nothing against the Packers. She just doesn't even care when I'm watching my, my soccer but so we're going through the stadium and I find it really interesting to see the history of the building, to see the money that's involved in this building. I got a charge as we came out of the, the, the tunnel as the players would do. I was like, oh man, I remember when playing sports, you get so charged up when people cheer for you. I can't imagine what it's like to come out of this stadium and see people cheering. But what was so interesting is that our tour guide told us the story of his family along with the story of the Packers and the story of, the, of Lambeau Field. He told about his older brother being one of the guys that used to, the kids that used to climb the trees so they could look over the fence and see practices long ago. And he told us about how he used to loan his bike to the players and they would ride his bike. And then when he had kids, then they would loan their bikes to the players. And now his grandkids loan their bikes to the players. He told us how he, um, he decided to have no more than two kids because he only had two season tickets that he could pass on. And he didn't want there to be family fights, and so they decided to stop having kids at two because he didn't want to make family fights over the, the Packers tickets. And I, this was a guy that was absolutely devoted to the Packers. This is a guy that has followed them for 50, 60, 65 years devoted his whole life and devoted money to the Packers and enjoyed the Packers. And this isn't an indictment of somebody enjoying sports and enjoying something. But this was a guy devoted to Green Bay Packers football. This passage calls us to be devoted to living out good news kinds of lives. Where we, when we think about the choices that we're going to make with our money and with our kids, when we think about how we spend our free time, when we think about how we live our lives in our neighborhoods and the places that we want to live, we must devote our lives to the good news. That we who once were foolish have been brought near, not just welcomed a little bit, but welcomed in as children and heirs. This passage says, devote yourself to good news, good, good news kinds of living. Devote yourselves to good works so that you don't live unproductive lives. So here's the passage that says, devote yourselves to adorning the good news in the power of the good news. This passage calls to us who cannot naturally be subject to rulers and authorities who on our own are disobedient, love to slander. Those of us who are on our own are not peaceable, we are not considerate, and we're definitely not gentle. This passage calls to us and says that the God of the universe, that everything will one day be subject to, subjected himself to rulers on our behalf. The one who set the rules 
was obedient to his parents in your place. The king of all kings who never slandered anyone died as a lawbreaker in your place. The one who was peaceable died with murderers, insurrectionists, and thieves in your place and in my place so that I could be saved and have His record of righteousness. Not so I can just try harder. Oh, let me try and devote myself to adorning the good news in my own strength. No. Me who once defaced the good news of God now can adorn it with His power and with His record. He didn't need to be saved. And He gave Himself for us. So then... What does that mean? What does that begin to look like as a community of people begin to live that out? What does it mean as a people begin to say, in the power of the good news, I can actually live a different kind of life among family members that don't love me? I, this is what it means to live out the good news of Jesus in kindness and goodness and gentleness in a workplace that only rewards competitiveness and stabbing one another in the back. I can actually live a good news, gospel kind of life. And then we become good news. And then somebody might notice and say, there has to be something more, something different. Because nobody would behave kindly towards me unless God had changed them. Nobody would treat me this way unless God had changed them. Then that changes a community. That changes a church as a church begins to say, how do we adorn the good news? I want to serve and I want to love because I once was foolish. Nobody's more foolish than I was. We begin to look at our neighbors and say, none of them are further gone than I used to be. I used to be a godless person, hated and being hated. And God came and gave himself for me. And so I'm not going to give up hope on that guy down the street. I'm not going to give up hope on any addict I'm not going to give up hope on anybody that is living a lifestyle that rejects God. No one who calls themselves an atheist. They're not too far gone because I too once was foolish, unlovable, and God gave himself for me. Then we become a good news kind of people. And our communities can be changed, not by our strength, but by this power radiating out of us through the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you gave yourself for us when we were foolish and disobedient. Help us live those good news gospel kind of lives because we've set our hearts, because we've set our hearts and found our power in your good news and in your love for us. Pray all these things.